Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. I just want to start <clears throat> with the foundation, make it very clear. Um, it wasn't maybe a year and a half ago right here in this group. I think Pastor Ron had these cards that he had us fill out, and I don't remember why or what it was all about, but I remember we were talking about Philippians 4 that day, or, and I wrote on my card, reread, study, understand, and believe, and live Philippians 4. And so I kind of want to <clears throat> look at Philippians 4 as the foundation for all of this, because if you don't look at it with that perspective, it can look like I'm talking a lot about me, I believe, and I don't want it to be sounding like I'm talking a lot about me, but I don't know how else to tell my story and my experiences and the things that I believe and the things that I've come to understand without talking a lot about me. So... It's kind of a double-edged sword. But uh, Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. This is starting at verse 6. Uh, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then uh, verse 8, it goes on to, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And then my favorite is, of course, 13. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So with that foundation, I didn't have that in my, in my talk really, but I wanted to make it clear that that's kind of the foundation for all of this. So uh, with that... We'll just get started right into it. I do have to get going because I do have to coach a boys' basketball game this afternoon. <clears throat> so I better get started. <laughs> Actually, the game's at 10 when you need to leave here at 9 o'clock, so I really better roll. But, uh, I got this title as the intro to my testimony, Use It and Believe. Um, to begin with, I'm just going to... Over a period of a year or so, a few years back, I had a fundamental principle start to kind of bombard me. Looking back on that period of time, I'm quite certain that it was the Holy Spirit starting to work on me, coaching me, if you will. And that fundamental principle that I was being bombarded with was simply this, and that was just do better. I kept hearing this in one form or another, and I did recognize it as something that was being thrown at me, if you will. I was running in Fargo, North Dakota one morning before work a few years ago, and it was dark, and it was misty. I was running under the streetlights, no traffic. I was all by myself, and it was just kind of peaceful, and I just felt this come to me, and it said, if you can do better, it's not that you should, but you must. Okay, that's kind of broad, right? All right, well, so I pick up the pace a little bit. I think I can do a little better. I can do a little better, yeah. What are you talking about, though? Running? I don't think it was running. Just running. Shortly thereafter, I was listening to a Jim Rohn lecture, and in that lecture, he challenged to get better, get wiser, get stronger, and to get better every day in every way. And I heard that as well. It almost hit me the same. And I turned that into kind of get better, wiser, and stronger every day in every way kind of a challenging, you know, what do you do with that? So I'm hearing that again, and then I came across this quote, and this one kind of hit me interesting as well. 
Stephen Ambrose, Undaunted Courage, the Lewis and Clark story. Awesome, awesome book. You can read it in about a half hour if you really get after it. <laughs> For six months, one of the two. But I highlight a lot of stuff when I read. And this book, I didn't highlight anything except for this particular quote from Meriwether Lewis when they were on their journey to the Pacific Northwest looking for an all-water route to the Pacific Ocean. They had left the Mandan village where they wintered in North Dakota, and they were somewhere in the middle of Montana on their way uh, over the mountains, heading towards the mountains in the second spring after they had uh, wintered in, in North Dakota. So uh, it was his 31st birthday, and his quote goes like this. He says, this day I completed my 31st year. Uh, he figured he was halfway through his life's journey. He said, I reflected that I had, as of yet, done but little, very little indeed, to further the happiness of the human race or to advance the information of the succeeding generation. I viewed with great regret the many hours I had spent in indolence and now sorely felt the want for the information which those hours would have given me had they been judiciously expended. He shook the mood, writing that, since the past could not be recalled, I dashed from me the gloomy thought and resolve in the future to redoubling my exertions and at least endeavor to promote those two primary objects of human existence by giving them the aid of that portion of talents which nature and fortune have bestowed upon me. And here it says, Ambrose writes, and here he seems to have lost his train of thought. Whatever, for whatever reason, he forgot to name those two primary objects of human existence. But instead he finished, he ended, quoting Lewis again, in the future to live for mankind as I have heretofore lived for myself. Ambrose goes on to comment on this. It says, if he was halfway through his life's journey, always a gloomy thought for a young man, he was also only halfway through his journey of exploration to the man, from the Mandan village to the Pacific coast. And the season was getting on. To him at this point, it seemed natural to rededicate himself simply to doing better. And so those three things just kind of hit me. Do better. So in the spirit of uh, getting better, I'm here with you today to share exactly what I feel I'm supposed to be sharing with you. I don't want you to think that it's all about me. That is not my intent at all, but it's about all of us in one form or another. I think we often all share similar stories, and we all often go down many of the same paths before we come to where we're supposed to be in our stories, if you will. And I feel that we can all get better every day in every way if that is what we were supposed to be doing and if that's God's will for our lives. Sometimes we just need a little coaching. Well, good morning. I think you all know now that I'm Jeb. For, uh, for those of you that don't know, I don't think there's anybody here that I haven't met before. But uh, my wife, Carol, and I are members here at Hillsview, and we've, uh, we've been going here for 10 years since we got married, and I attended for several years before we got married as well, and um, blessed to be part of this uh, the church body here. Well, the reason I'm here today is simply because I feel it was time to start sharing more of my story and what I've learned along the way and what I've come to understand. It's that simple. It's just what I feel that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I've divided the talk into two parts, 
if I get past this one and you guys have me back, um, the first is my testimony followed by some thoughts on some wisdom that I heard over 25 years ago and have been compiling on for about just as long. In part two, I'd like to share my thoughts on the application of some of that wisdom and how it can affect our lives in every day, in every way. And of course, it's my desire to share all of everything I say with the spirit of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and everything said to be heard with the spirit of having sound biblically-based principle at the core of it all, even if it may not sound like it. So I want to ask, i start off with a simple question for all of you, and it's this. How are you doing? How are you doing? I've found that this to be a very powerful question to ask, be asked, especially when it's asked of you in a sincere, right, and, uh, and, and in the right spirit and tone, it can cause almost a, a very deep self-reflection very quickly, as it, as it did for me once. So how are you doing? And now this is where I go into my testimony. Uh, and this is the testimony that I gave in church December of 2019. I changed it a little bit to make the dates make more sense. But uh, it goes as this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This song is one of the most well-known hymns ever sung. We often sing it without even a second thought to the words. Sometime ago now, as we sang the song in church, one of the verses caught my attention like it never had before, and it goes like this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come, but grace has led me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. As we sang the song in church that day, I found myself wondering, who is the person that wrote this, and what is his story? He has to have a story to be able to write like this, so I looked into it and found the name of the man, who, his name was John Newton, and he was born in 1725 in the United Kingdom. His mother was a strong Christian woman who eagerly taught John God's word and tried to instill good into her son, but two weeks before his seventh birthday, John's mother died. And John's father was a seafaring man and, and remarried soon after John's mother died, and John was made to live with his new stepmother, but John's stepmother wanted little to do with him, and he was afforded many freedoms to do as he pleased. This caused him to get into a lot of trouble, so when he was 11 years old, John's father took him along on the high seas where he captained ships in the slave trade business. The young John Newton sailed with his father for several years, taking on the rough and coarse lifestyle of seamen of the time. Heavy drinking and recklessness were a way of life, and it seemed as if John had forgotten all his mother had taught him before her death. While in port one time, John, at around the age of 18, was captured by a group of men who worked for the Royal Navy and was forced to, to serve on uh, warships. This time in his life made John a very angry and callous person. By his early 20s, he was very rebellious and would not follow captain's orders and constantly made fun of anyone who believed in God. Even some of the toughest sailors who were known for their excessive cursing and drinking were sickened by John's bad attitude and foul language. Finally, the Royal Navy had had enough of him as well, and they left him at port one time where he was uh, uh, sold as a slave to a slave trader as well and John himself became a slave for uh, around this period of two to three years. Finally in 1748 John was rescued by a sea captain whom his father had instructed to go search for him and to bring him home. 
It was after his rescue and on his homeward voyage that a massive storm came up and all the crew seemed certain that they had seen their last days and would certainly perish with the ship. Newton had seen his share of bad storms on the high sea, but on this day he too was certain all would be lost. And it was in the midst of this storm and certain death at sea that Newton began to recall Bible verses his mother had taught him, and he called out to, to God for mercy. He wondered, what mercy can there be for a wretch like me? But continuing to pray and tell God he was sorry for the ways he had taken to, John felt a sense of peace come over him in his soul. Soon the storm passed, and John knew that it was God who saved him and the ship, and he immediately searched out a Bible and asked Jesus to save his soul, and he became a Christian that day. Almost at once, the other sailors noticed that John was different. He no longer used foul language or made fun of uh, Christians as he had before. He no longer put, he no, no longer got upset when others teased him. Even so, Newton's change didn't happen overnight. He was still involved with the slave trade for several years before realizing that it was wrong. Eventually, Newton led a movement that abolished slavery in England. In 1764, he became the Anglican priest and wrote over 280 hymns to accompany his services. And in the year 1772, John Newton wrote the words to the song that would become known as Amazing Grace. Now there's a lot more to John Newton's story, but in essence, he was young, reckless, rowdy, slave trading, hard drinking, foul mouthed sailor. I believe he had a moral compass, but he failed to use it for a large part of his younger life. He truly passed through many dangers, toils, and snares, and it was by grace alone he safely made it through them all. Now there's a reason I tell you this story about John Newton. I myself have some in common with John, I believe. I was never a sailor, and I never traded any slaves. It's a good thing in this day and age, I think. But now there is a, uh, but I have passed through some of the dangers, toils, and snares similar to John Newton. I was born into a very blessed life. I feel I really never had to want for anything that we needed. I had wonderful parents, siblings. Both of my parents came from strong Christian backgrounds of Dutch descent and uh, was raised in the Christian Reformed Church. My mom was possibly a lot like John Newton's mother in regard to her strong desire for her children to know the Lord. Uh, my dad was a lineman in his younger days before he moved up into upper management of the construction company where he worked, but he was, he was also a godly man. I accepted the Lord as my Savior when I was quite young, but I remember trying to make sure. Just curious, who's all done that? Have you ever tried to make sure you did it right? But I remember trying to make sure I was saved by praying extra hard, concentrating on praying to make sure I did it right many times. I think I was around 10 years old when I felt like I had gotten it right, if you will. So I guess I thought I had everything coming to me you get as a Christian, right? The path to heaven and Jesus in my heart, as we say. It was also about this time also about this time that we changed churches and started going to Rimrock. I remember my dad saying that one of uh, the soccer coaches on my brother's soccer team was the pastor at the fairly new church at Johnson Siding, and that we he would like to hear him preach one time. So we went there one Sunday, and we never stopped going there once we started. Everyone in our family connected with others there, and it was apparent that there, that was the place where our family belonged. 
Friendships were formed then, and I can say today, continue to grow into fully and truly lifelong friendships. It was especially important for my parents to see us kids engaging in quality friendships through the church. So there we stayed at Rimrock. We went to Rimrock for a long time after that. I think uh, it was a great place for us all at the right place at the right time as a family, for sure. So uh, I was a pretty normal kid, and I lived a pretty normal life as far as I could tell. I played sports and got into some trouble like boys do. When it came time for high school, I opted to go to Rapid City Christian High. I had some good friends, but I struggled to make good friends through school. And my grades had started to suffer, and my mom suggested Rapid City Christian as an option for me. And once again, it was a good choice, as I once again developed some good, positive friendships there. Once again, God put me the right, gave me the right people and put the right people in my life at the right place and time. And so it was through high school... Sports, friends, and school. There was also hunting and fishing, two things that I was uh, instilled with at a very young age. My dad taught me to hunt and to fish, and those two things probably kept me more grounded than anything through some of these years, and to this day keep me grounded by just being out in creation. By the end of my junior year, something happened in my life that changed it almost overnight. I was getting burnt out on playing soccer, and my grades weren't very good at all, and uh, they wouldn't have allowed me to play soccer somewhere in college like I'd once anticipated and looked forward to. I think my dad saw all these these things happening to me, and uh, being burned out on soccer and not good grades, and college just really wasn't even an option at this point, with one year to go in my high school career. So he just asked me one evening, we were out raking pine needles, one spring morning of my, uh, before my, uh, the summer before my senior year, and he said, do you just want to go to work for the summer? And that just kind of caught me off guard. He's like, that's another option. You know, all of a sudden I had an option there. I had planned on just going and playing competitive soccer again that summer and traveling all the country, all over the country to do so, but I just wasn't feeling it. So I thought about it and prayed about it and decided to go to work that summer as a groundman for the company that Dad worked for. They had a power line job going in the hills near Deadwood that summer, and I was to work on uh, one of the crews that was working on that project. So that decision was made. I quit soccer and decided it was just time to go to work. After only working for a couple weeks, I knew I was on to something. I really liked the work, the hard work, the equipment, working outside in the hills and the men that I got to work with. But there was an element of danger that went with the work, and I was told that you don't know what you don't know, and that can kill you. Use your head in everything you do out here. By the end of the summer, I felt as if I had found something that could be more than just a summer job for me. I found something that I really thought I could do for a living and make a career out of in my future. You could go as far as to say that I really found myself in a lot of ways that summer, but along with that, And all the good things that happened to me that summer, there were also a few vices that I picked up and carried with me for many years. I started smoking cigarettes and drinking beer with the guys, and I found that I liked them both quite a bit. You might say that I was working with a crew of men with much in common with the sailors that John Newton knew centuries before. But then summer came to an end, and the time came to go back to finish my senior year at Rapid City Christian. 
By that time, I had become addicted to cigarettes and started running with a different crowd completely of friends, and it was the crowd that was more into the beer-drinking and partying scene. Somehow, I survived my senior year at Rapid City Christian without getting kicked out for poor conduct. I did get kicked off the football team after a teacher pulled up next to us at a stoplight after football practice one day and looked over, and she saw me smoking a cigarette. She says, ah, that's not good. Got called into the principal's office the next morning, first thing, and I was suspended. Uh, Kicked off the football team. No school for three days, off the team for the year. I says, can I just, I wanted to play football because I was having so much fun playing football. It was the first year I played football. The guys, when I came back to work, uh, came back to school that fall, the guys encouraged me to go out for the football team. First, they needed help, and I had put on some weight and beefed up a little bit working that summer. Uh, yeah, I'll play football and was having a blast. I had to screw it up. Uh, the coach, sometime later, he approached me, Jim Dickerson, and he said, you know you were leading the conference in punting and kicking before you screwed that up for yourself? He said it kind of jokingly, nudging me a little bit. Come on, kid, you know. But, uh, it was true, and uh, I was really having fun. But uh, the school was gracious enough to let me finish my senior year there with the agreement that my conduct would not repeat itself. Quite frankly and honestly, the only conduct that didn't repeat itself was the part of getting caught again. So I made it through. This is the 17th year of my life, and it was the beginning of a period of time where I encountered many dangers, toils, and snares that I brought on myself. I definitely got snared by beer and cigarettes and by a lifestyle not becoming to a person who claimed to be a Christian. Oftentimes, too much beer created many of the dangers that I found myself in, and beer was the root cause of many of the bad choices, stupid, silly things that I did. From driving dangerous roads to getting into vehicles with someone who was drinking and just being involved in overall uh, dangerous behavior, it was also... It also caused me to be involved with some people and accompanied them in some risky behavior that otherwise I wouldn't have taken part in. Some of the events I came through without a scratch or nothing short of miraculous. Somehow amid all this, I managed to graduate from Black Hill State with a business degree and also completed a four-year apprenticeship program for power line workers. Now the work that I have done and continue to do is toilsome and can be dangerous as well. The danger level really went up for me when I would come to work after drinking all night with the guys, as if the the job wasn't dangerous enough already without that. Dangerous and toilsome enough without coming to work, either still drunk or extremely hungover. I can think of many times where the dangers in the work could have gotten the best of me, from working at extreme heights on the high voltage lines, climbing poles, or riding on helicopters to do the work. Here I am. (laughs) Another snare that I was nearly caught by was a wrong relationship. When I was 27, I was uh, two weeks away from being married when I called the wedding off because I knew it wasn't right for her or for me. Uh, And there was a couple other relationships as well that failed for uncertain reasons other than they just weren't the right ones for me. And I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me on all of those things too. And all throughout all of this, I can honestly tell you that I knew that God was with me the whole time and the Holy Spirit was with me the whole time. I knew that was there. I feel like sometimes I portray that I was worse of a person than I was because of some of these things. 
I really wasn't a bad kid, and I really wasn't a bad person, just to clear that up, just for you guys. I was uh, just uh, engaged in some kind of risky behavior, if you will. And in hindsight, and I'll get to this in a little bit too, hindsight, looking at it all, it's like, you know, if I hadn't gone through that and understood all that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today either. But uh, anyways, ultimately, the failed relationships led me to the chance meeting of my wife, Carol. At this point now, I'm happy to report to you that I've been cigarette-free for about eight years and completely nicotine-free since Father's Day of 2015. And only by God's grace was I able to beat that addiction. Also, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in just over two years. And uh, let me add that, as I was saying, uh, I hadn't indulged, I hadn't indulged in alcohol like I used to in my 20s and some of my 30s, for quite some time, but I would occasionally have a few from time to time until just over two years ago. I'm going to have a drink right now, though. This is just <laughs> coffee. But... <laughs> then a little over two years ago, I met with Mitch just to visit about a couple things that had been on my heart about being involved with in our church here. And one of them was actually a Dave Ramsey class that we've been teaching for a couple of years now, and then the other one was a sportsman's banquet that we started two years ago. And I just it had been on my heart, so I brought it to his attention, and we had a meeting, we visited about it. Towards the end of our conversation, Mitch asked me the infamous question, and that question is, how are you doing? This is where that very rapid self-examination that I spoke of earlier took place. I felt like I was doing pretty well in most areas of my life, but I did bring up alcohol for some reason. To which Mitch responded, he says, now you and I both know that there is nothing wrong with sitting down and having a few beers with your friends, whatever. He said, but if you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to stop, then listen to him and stop. That's pretty blunt. <laughs> wow. Is that what's been working on me, I thought? As I left the church that morning, I knew that was exactly what I was feeling. And I listened. And the last couple of years have been a couple pretty amazing years for me without alcohol. So now from this standpoint, looking back on it all, when I talk about a couple of amazing years without it, I didn't realize what life could be like without it completely. Zero, none. You know, I, I told you I didn't drink that much before, but... What it's like to go every single day, day after day after day, and wake up clearly, no fog, clear eyes, feeling good, not even a touch of a, you know, I had half a drink too much last night, not even a touch of that, and you're you know, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and getting exercise and doing things differently, doing things that I wouldn't have been able to do and I'd still drank even just a little bit from time to time and achieving some things that I haven't, I'll get into that next next month, but achieving some things too that I wouldn't have been able to do without completely being rid of, of alcohol. So here's what I've come to understand through my journey so far, both spiritual and otherwise. This amazing grace that John Newton wrote about nearly 250 years ago is available to us all. Even through all the dangers, toils, and snares we've faced and continue to face every day, 
God's grace was available to, John, available to John Newton. It's available to me, and it's available to you. And God's grace has led us all safe this far, and God's grace will lead us all home. All we have to do is believe it and ask for it. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Matthew 7.7 says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Those are two pretty simple things to live by. Basic fundamentals. Just like I coach the little boys in basketball, guys, it's just fundamentals. we got to work on the fundamentals, and these are two fundamental things that I've come across. It's that simple. One last thing that I continue to understand more better all the time is that there's a big difference between accepting, accepting Christ as your Savior, as I did when I was around 10 years old for the 50th time, and allowing Him to live through you. Now, there really isn't anything that I would change about my journey to this point because everything that has happened in my life has led me to where I am today. If there was one thing I would change, it's simply this. I wish that I would have listened to God more and sooner. That's more sooner. Because then I'd be here today and be more better than I am. I love that, more better, more sooner. (laughs) But on goes this amazing, grace-filled journey. I think we're right on schedule, so I'm just going to keep on going. And this is the second part-ish of uh, this of kind of my story. Now I'm going to go back to the summer when I went to work and some things that I picked up through the years, through that, that is kind of unique to me, I believe, and my my perspective on things and on life. So. Uh, Going back to that summer, when I went to work, as Dad asked me that morning, that evening while we were raking pine needles, do you just want to go to work? I was 17 years old and pretty naive to what I was getting into. I'd grown up around the company, though, so I had a pretty good idea of what to expect, but I still had a lot of questions. The first day on the job, I met all the guys and the foreman. The foreman's name was Dick. Dick was a short, wiry, and well-weathered man. He walked with a noticeable limp, and he appeared to be in pain all the time. He seemed like a real grouch to me right off the bat, and I would soon come to find out that I was right. He was a hollerer and a screamer on the job. He would light his next cigarette with his last one most of the time, yet there was something about him that demanded respect without him demanding it. He ran the crews and was in charge and had a lot of responsibility to make sure the work got done safely, quickly, and right. That first morning on the job, Dick instructed me to get in with him while the rest of the men gathered tools, material, and equipment we'd be working with that day. We left the show-up yard and drove a little ways through through the town of Deadwood and then turned off the road heading up toward a big draw where it looked to me like there was a dead end. But when we got to where it looked like there was a dead end, there was a newly dozed road that had been cut in the bottom of the ravine just wide enough to drive up on and to get to the top of the mountain where the line was being built. A single word had not been spoken yet as we arrived at a level open area in the woods where a log skidder was parked. We pulled up to the old log skidder in his suburban, got out and walked up to the skidder. Hooked onto the skidder, under the back of the skidder, was a log chain with one end wrapped around two long poles, which would be 
used to drag the poles up the hill where they would be uh, set in the ground. Dick instructed me to climb up in the driver's seat and he'll tell me how to start it. Really? I think the reason he sent me up there is because he couldn't climb up there himself. He was fairly crippled and you could tell, I could tell he was in obvious pain even just as he walked. He threw me the keys and gave me some instructions and then told me to hold the starter button in until he told me to let it go. And so I pushed the starter button in with my foot on the clutch as instructed on the machine and it started to crank and crank and crank and pretty soon it sounded like it was coming to life and so I let off the starter button out and then the engine died and failed to start. And you would have thought that the world had come to an end. Dick started to holler, no, 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 I told you, no, no, I use it, don't abuse it, he says, no. <laughs> what? I'm 17. And I was like, what, what, what did he just say? Dick bellowed, hold the starter button in until I tell you to let it go. So I watched him and started over. It seemed to me like the motor was starting, but he didn't give me any indication. Finally, he nodded his head in approval, and I released the button, and the machine roared to life and stayed running. Dick motioned for me to get on back down off the skitter. We walked back to his Suburban as the big Detroit diesel took to running. It was quite a sound. So I climbed off the skitter, exhilarated by the feeling I got from making that behemoth of a machine come roaring to life and still trying to figure out in my mind what Dick had meant in that fiery rant. Use it, don't abuse it. What did he say? Well, so we headed back up the mountain, and Dick started to talk. And he explained to me that he wanted the skitter fired up so it would be warmed up when the rest of the guys got there to have someone drag the poles up the hill the rest of the way. I told Dick, I said, yeah, that's pretty sheepish. He said, yeah, I, I get that, but I didn't quite all of what you said. I, I didn't quite understand what you were, he said, I, I said something about using it. And at that point, Dick stopped the Suburban on the trail, leaned over, he looked over the top of his bifocals, held his crippled hand up to the side of his temple like this, and he said, use it. Don't abuse it. All of the time. You don't know what you don't know, and that can get you killed out here. So use your head in everything you do all of the time. That's more like the tone that he spoke in. As he peered over the top of the bifocals, as he spoke at me, I could feel those words being burned into my souls if it was as, as his beady little eyes that were piercing me like lasers. And then he turned, looked at his straight ahead again, and started back up the mountain. And then he began to tell me his story. And his story was this. I came to understand why he was in such bad shape. He had a steel plate in his head, he had a steel plate in his arm, and he had a steel plate in his leg. He had been involved with a bucket truck accident about two years before that happened. And he fell 60 feet when the boom under the bucket that he was working in broke and he bounced off steel lattice members all the way to the ground. He was in pretty bad shape for a long time. In fact, he spent a year in the hospital. 
recovering. And when I went to work with him, he had been out of the hospital for about a year. But you could tell, I mean, he was in bad shape physically. But he still was out there doing it. And he was still out there um, doing what he loved to do. And you could see that in him from time to time. He didn't always come across like he loved what he was doing. But as it turns out, he even enjoyed chewing people out. <laughs> he, I learned that years later. I could tell some stories. He, <laughs> I'll just tell you one real quick. It was about my brother, which makes it even better, because Toby, my brother, twisted out an axle on a piece of equipment one day on the project that we were working on up by uh, the Buckhorn on the Wyoming line. And he got back to the yard that night, and Dick got word of uh, my brother had basically wrecked this piece of equipment that we needed, and it was... And so Dick walked right up to Toby and just started to chew his butt out. And Toby just took it and he took it and he took it. Yes, sir. But Dick didn't quit. He kept laying into him and he chewed and chewed and chewed and chewed. And he kept going until finally my brother, he just had enough. I don't need to take He took his hard hat. He stomped off. When I was watching all this, I was sitting in the pickup waiting for my brother to join me because we were getting ready to go home for work after the day. Toby got in the pickup and he says, stop and get some beer. <laughs> and we did, because that's what we did. But uh, Dick, I, I couldn't believe the way that man chewed my brother's butt out that day for what he had done. Years later, I was working with a friend who I work with from time to time yet these days. He uh, works for the same company as I do. He's on the, the Sioux City Powerline crew over there for WAPA. And... Um, we were having this conversation, and I was telling my friend Josh about that instance. And Josh goes, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was there that day. Says, really? He says, oh, yeah. I was standing just around the corner, and I watched Dick chew your brother's butt out, and I watched your brother throw his hard hat and storm off that day. <laughs> and Josh goes, you're not going to believe it. Josh says, when your brother threw his hard hat, stormed off, and went and got in the truck with you that day, and Dick was just, watched him leave, he says, Dick turned around, and Josh, 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 says, he was looking right at me, and he says, he just started to grin. <laughs> he says, I love it, I love it, he said. That tells you the kind of guy Dick was. And that's what I got to work with for quite a while. But uh, my brother loves that story, too. He, last time I saw Dick, for the record, uh, he was actually going to church. He's retired. He's going to church with his wife at uh, Countryside Community Church in Spearfish, where my brother goes. And we went up there for an Easter service. And Dick was greeting people at the front door at Countryside Church. <laughs> pretty cool. So that's his story in a nutshell. I still talk with Dick from time to time, and we've become good friends over the years, and uh, he says, I still smoke a lot, but not as much as I used to last time I talked to him. But he's going to live to be 100. He's, he's sure of it. But Anyway, it really made a lasting impression on me, and that, that saying was literally burned into my spirit, I felt. And I had the pleasure of working with Dick quite a little over the next few years, and we actually became good friends. He was never easy to work for, but I worked hard for him, and uh, we had a mutual respect for each other. 
After working with and around Dick for a couple of years and having that use it, don't abuse it statement drilled into my head, I actually wrote the statement on the cover of a spiral notebook and uh, started writing down thoughts, quotes, philosophies, ideas, and sayings about it. About the time I started trying to define the word it, about that time, I should say, I started trying to define the word it in my mind in regards to what it meant in that phrase. And the first date of the first thing I ever wrote down in here was from 5 of 97. And I've had this with me just about, well, you do the math, 20, how many, a lot of years now. I've continued to add to it along the way. Anything that stuck out in my mind, um, write it down. Don't know what it's going to lead to yet, but uh, on the cover of this, I wrote the book I will write someday. It's been a lot of some days ago that I wrote that, but uh, ideas, thoughts, philosophies, use it, don't abuse it. And uh, it's kind of a, a lot, of, it's been a keepsake for me over the years. We'll see if that book ever gets written. Looking back, it has taken me at least 25 plus years to fully come to terms with, appreciate, and understand what I've come up with in regards to what the definition of the word it is. After defining the word it, I felt as if I had to define something else. That something else is simply the answer to the question, for what? So if I use it and don't abuse it, <coughs> then what? And for what? And what is it? So I'll tell you the things that I've come up with for the word it. It simply can be replaced by these words. First and foremost, as Dick said, your head. Your time, your money, your body, and your gifts, talents, and abilities. Those are the five primary things that I've defined to fit into this phrase to take the place of the word it. There may be more, and there can be more added, and everyone might have their own it. Using all of these things and not abusing them has strong scriptural foundations to support the principles as well. And now I'd like to dive into that with you just a little bit. So use your head. Proverbs 3.21 says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world. Where are you at? Oh, he's gone. That's his favorite, I think. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, use your time. Colossians 4.5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming that time. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming that time. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That tells me that time is limited for all of us. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom because at some point in time our time is going to run out. And that time hasn't gotten back just as Meriwether Lewis spoke of 1805 in Montana. He wished he had that time back, but you don't get it back. Michael Lannon, the actor we all know from The Little House on the Prairie, Highway to Heaven, um, 
A famous quote of his goes like this. Somebody should tell us right away at the start of our lives that we are dying. Then we might live life to the limit every minute of every day. He says, do it, I say. Whatever you want to do, do it now. There are only so many tomorrows. We should use our time. Use your money. And I put in parentheses, not someone else's. Uh, Romans 13, verse 8 says, no, Owe no man anything but to love one another. In Proverbs 22, 7, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Uh, scriptures for using your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You, are, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Using your gifts, talents, and abilities. I need another drink. That used to be a lot of... Anyway. As each of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold God, grace of God. And Romans 12.6 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, there's grace again, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So how are you doing? Are there things in your life that you aren't using or that you are abusing? I know I'm still working on a lot of things. But with God, I believe I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I believe it, and you can believe it too. Pastor Ron back. This is, he gets in here. Pastor Ron actually helped me define the word it as well at one point in one of his sermons. I uh, took some notes on the uh, bulletin on 4-7 of 2019. Pastor Ron closed his sermons with the quote, with this, and I quote, he says, whatever it is, whether it's your talents, your money, your possessions, or your position, it is all comes from him. And it all begins with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Next time I'm going to share some special, some, some practical ways in which I believe we can actually apply these principles to our lives and how that can be beneficial not only to ourselves, but to all those around us and to those who see how Where is he? Mark, where's Mark? Where's Mark? There! I need see how we live our lives so that others can see Christ in us by the way we then live. He's preaching on that on Wednesday nights right now. How then shall we live? So I threw that in there. It fits. It just fits. Everything fits together very nicely. And to close... Next time, 
I'll share the story about a big personal fitness goal that I achieved with God last year and some of the takeaways and things that I learned from that. The title to that closing portion next month is simply Believe. So I look forward to seeing you all next month, if you want part two. That's all. Thank you.